everybody, I'm Jody Marks, and welcome to Breaking It Down with Jody Marks, brought to you by P3 Theater Company, where every week I sit down and talk with a new group of panelists who not only help educate us all, but also help give the Black community a voice on topics and conversations that should have happened a long time ago. You can also watch the show live by going to P3 Theater Company's Facebook Live every Wednesday at 6.30 Pacific Time, where if you have a question on the week's topic, we'll be happy to answer it. Now sit back, listen, and learn, because we're about to break it down. Welcome to episode 10 of Breaking It Down with Jody Marks. I'm your host, Jody Marks, and today we will be talking about what it's like growing up as a Black woman. And we have three amazing women with us today that make up our amazing panel. We have Desiree Rue, Fereke Aparende, and Enid Kroom. So hello, ladies, and welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. First things first, I do this every show. Can you all just welcome to episode 10 of yourselves? So, Fideke, you'll start. Hi, my name is Fideke Aparende. Thanks for having me back, Jody. I'm half Nigerian. That's why my name is so fun and complicated. And I'm a singer and I'm a songwriter and I'm an actor. But right now, I'm mostly just trying to survive this pandemic and keep my sanity. Amen. <laughs> Desiree? Hello, hello, and Jody, thank you for inviting me back. Uh, my name is Desiree, and I am here in Long Beach, California, all the way from Baltimore, Maryland, with a little stop in between Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I am a social worker and a freelance writer, and I am a Black woman, unapologetically. Yes, period. <laughs> All right. And then Edith. Hi, Jody. Thank you for inviting me. Um, this is, I'm a first time flyer. <laughs> so thank you all <laughs> for having me. Um, I'm currently residing in Charlotte, North Carolina. I grew up in San Diego, California, but I was born in upstate New York. I am a retired Army service member of the, the Army Medical Corps. Um, I am also a social worker currently working on an active act team, um, working with the severely, um, with severe, serious mental illness, people with serious mental illness. And, um, so this is something new for me, actually, this is a new thing for me. So I'm really, uh, excited about doing it. I've only been doing it for about a month. Um, that is new. Yeah, it's very new. (laughs) So I'm happy to be here. Um, I, a little tidbit about me, though. I do have a background in theater. I did that in high school. I went to performing arts high school. Um, so it's one of my passions and loves. Um, theater is a big thing for me. Um, and one of my uh, other tidbit, real quick, is I have a son who has autism. He's on the autism spectrum. He's high functioning. So that is near and dear to my heart as well. Yes, I have a cousin with autism. <laughs> yeah thank you for serving mm-hmm. by the way thank you thank you you are brave <laughs> i'm just gonna say that i have so much respect it was you. by accident too it really by was accident, I, wait, I, I have to know the story wait what do you mean by accident <laughs> yeah um i didn't intend to serve as long as i did it just kind of happened to me um it really was by accident and I found a calling. I found, I said, I had some really great leadership and I, it was really, I really, it was a place I never thought I'd be really. Um, an early, the early recession, I'm older than I look. It was an earlier recession 
and um, jobs were scarce. I lost my teaching job and I needed money to survive. And my dad's like, it won't hurt. And I was like, okay. And I made a career out of it. You know, things happen for a reason. Yeah. yeah. They really do. I believe that. So first question, why the second one? Um, what was it like growing up as a kid for you? And did you ever have to deal with racism or discrimination at a young age? And if so, do you have any stories to share? Anybody? Desiree? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say, say um, let's see, growing up, I, like I said, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. Baltimore is a predominantly Black city um, with over 80% of its residents and citizens that live in Baltimore City are Black. So growing up, um, I went to an all-Black high school, elementary, middle high school, all-Black. My neighborhood was Black. Where I shopped was Black. Um, I didn't have a lot of interaction with non-African-Americans growing up. So I didn't know that being Black, per se, um, was not good. I would say I knew it in general. There was absolutely conversations you have in the family about the state of the world. But growing up, everybody looked like me. My teachers looked like me. Um, principals looked like me. Um, leaders in my community look like me. Um, my mom worked for a historically black college and university. She was a secretary. So college students look like me, college professors look like me. So growing up, um, black was always great. And if I had any issues, it was just simply being a teenager and always trying to fit in and figure that part out. Just the normal human life. The yeah. normal human development, but at no um, time that I, growing up um, before college, that I feel um, that I was in a place that I wasn't supposed to be. Yeah. Do you think that helped you, especially, I guess, when you saw, like, when you were, like, in a melting pot, I guess you could say, or by predominantly, like, white people? Did you feel like, oh, I should have been around them, like, sooner? Well, I think it, it helped me in that I was defined before I got into the melting pot. Because the melting pot was not accepted. I was in a place different that I wasn't supposed um, to be. And so had yeah, do you I think been a that helped you? Especially it, I may have come out differently. But I was already good with who I was as a I black person. Like white I wanted people. to have longer hair. Like, I wanted to be, ooh, you I know, been around them like I wanted different clothes. Well, I wanted a car. I, think I didn't have a car. You know, it helped like me that, in that I was defined I was never, before um, I, I never got into the ashamed about being black. So I was being thrust into the pot actually experiencing sort of the things that people said that the world was like was difficult. But had I not grown up the way that I did, it, it would have been different. Oh, I'm the, I was, I was um, in Burbank, so mm -hmm. hot. And I can tell you identity crisis, honey. Yeah. <laughs> crisis. You don't know who you are, who you're supposed to be. Uh, yeah, so can, it, yeah, yeah. You don't. You really don't. Yeah. Like you're like, what am I? How am I supposed to fit in in this world when these people are like telling me I'm supposed to be one thing as a black woman, but it's to fit into society. They're basically telling you to scrap everything and not right. be yourself. Mm, that happened at a young age. But again, do you have anything? 
Well, you know, I'm from Chicago and Chicago is one of the most segregated cities in the US. And I grew up in a very white area. So I went to a predominantly white school. Everywhere I turned was white. So I sort of grew up being other. And um, when you're in that like white world, cause that's pretty much how it was. It was just all white. And you're, you have like your friends and you grow up and you're young like that. You don't really, you see color. Like, obviously I knew I was black. I was told I was black. I mean, my name was Fideke. I was different from most of those kids. And, um, I, I think I said this in one of the other episodes where like the white girl was like, everyone put your hands like this. And she was like, white, white, white. Then she said, flip them over. And she was like, white, white, black. And I was like, oh my God, that was like a shock for me at the age of five. But um, I remember like going to like sleepovers and like going swimming with my friends and stuff. And like my my hair wouldn't like react obviously the same way as, the same way as their hair. So they would like touch my hair and be like, oh my God, why does it feel like that in water? Do you need a pillow? Like, it's so like cushy. And I was like, this is so like weird. And it just sort of, it separates you from everyone else. And um, it was a, that was an interesting experience. And because I just never really felt like I fit in. And then like, when you get older and people start like dating and liking each other and stuff, I wasn't really included in that part because people didn't really like the girls that looked like me and I was really of only like one or two people in my grade who were like black girls it was it was that was a mess and then for some reason randomly one of the black boys like just hated me and I was like but we're all black we're supposed to like stick together that's how my mom raised me so I was like yo why aren't you like why don't you have my back man because when they talk about you I got your back but like Oh, it was, it was, it was a journey with all That's a thing people. though. It's like mm-hmm. black, black women are really just for the community. We have everybody's back. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes around to protecting the black woman. It's under the bus. Just some men are just like, ah, eh, I wouldn't date that. Or, oh, I'd be, and you're just like, what? But we come, we protect you. Can't you have the same love? I don't understand that. I never have, and I don't think I ever will, because it, it's something in our in our own community that happens. And I don't even know. Ina, do you have anything? Sorry about that. My husband was down here fixing the light. Um, it was distracting. I didn't want to be rude. Sorry. <laughs> oh, good. Um, I grew up in San Diego, and San Diego at the time when I grew up, it was transitioning. Um, so I kind of had to transition with it. Um, I was in a, my family was transitioning from a military. My, my dad, my mom was in the air force. My dad was in the Navy. Um, and I had to transition with that. And at the time, um, San Diego was becoming this huge military community. So, for me, I, I didn't, I wasn't a military brat or anything like that. I didn't have that experience. Um, but so it was the, all the transitions as a community, I'm, I'm a lot older than look, I'm in my fifties. Um, so at this time growing up, I know <laughs> growing up in, yeah, <laughs> growing up in San Diego, 
all the shifting with the the migration of people that were coming in from the military and the shifting of cultures and clash of it was it was very interesting to see because where we lived in initially we lived in Coronado Island there was it was predominantly white but I was really young then so I wasn't really going to school but by the time I became school age and we moved closer to like IB and then we moved to Chula Vista and then we moved to Bonita and then we moved again it was like it was more mixed there was a high huge Hispanic population Latin, well, we call it Hispanic then. Now it's Latinx. It's all these terms I'm trying to come to terms with. But um, for me, it wasn't different. It was, it, there was, it was so many different groups of people, but we were all trying to figure it out because we we're all kind of thrown together. And it was one of the first times when people started getting thrown together. So for me, it was me trying to figure out, okay, well, everyone was groups and where did I go and what did I supposed to do because I spoke fluent Spanish at the time and um, I spoke fluent Japanese at the time and for me it's like where did I fit because I I could fit with you because I spoke your language I could fit with you because I look like you I could fit with you because I spoke your language so for me I was an outlier I was the exception and not the rule and I think that's kind of why my buddy asked me to come to this talk because I've always been that person. I've always been the exception and not the rule because I do speak the different languages and I am a little bit different. Um, I'm different in my own community. I've always been a different child. I skipped the third grade. Um, I'm a member of Mensa and I look like this. So for me, my experience as a child was always a little bit different because as a young black girl, you, you don't, you're not supposed to be smart. You're not supposed to be uh, clever. You're not supposed to be able to speak somebody or learn somebody's language quickly. Um, but for some reason, I was able to do some things that I'm not supposed to be able to do. And it, in a time where things were transitioning so quickly in a city that was growing so rapidly, um, and I think for me, it, it gave me a little bit of a complex <laughs> because it, it gave me this feeling that not that I was inadequate, but that I should be embarrassed to be smart or I should be hmm. like hesitant and reserved about my intelligence and about my abilities. And I kind of held back and I tried to dumb down myself sometimes because I thought that I was there was something wrong with me mm -hmm. does that make sense yes it does and um, yeah I find that's that's wild to me because I see I definitely know some cousins you know that have gone to school and they definitely like oh, I can't raise my hand and I'm like why not they're like well because I might get made fun of and I'm like but you're at school <laughs> like you should be doing that but they're like oh it'll become something else and I'm like like when is it like when do kids become like so mean at times like you know what I mean or were they realize like when did you realize that you might have been smarter than everybody else or or maybe like Fideke said like when you realized you were different because it's like we we all are born and we all don't know color skin 
you know what I mean? Like, we're just like with our friends, like just having a blast. And then the next thing you know, it's like something racial, like Frege said, which is like, they're like, oh, why, why, why black? And you're just like, where'd you learn that? Like, sorry. All five. I, why do you do this? <laughs> five. And why can't you be the smart one? You know what I mean? Like, why, why are little girls like labeled like that? Like, oh, we're just there. Right. You know, I, I, for me, my experience was so different in that because I think growing up in a predominantly Black situation, school, church, family, friends, for us, our teachers basically told us being smart wasn't a choice. It was almost like they were preparing us for the world that we didn't know. So we were expected to be smart. Right. We were expected to be assertive. We like it was almost like a, a training ground. Um, and maybe we didn't appreciate it at the time because we didn't get it. But our teachers, I can specifically remember conversations um, where the teachers basically, my teacher basically saying, your personality is not going to be enough. You're going to have to study. That's right because you're going to have to do more than the next person. And I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> but that was sort of the, that was the thing. But sort of, so for me, entering into the world as a confident, assertive, Black woman, not afraid to raise her hand, basically afraid to keep it down, um, how the world uh, took that in was, for me, such a, I was not prepared for that. I wasn't prepared for the reaction. I thought I was being prepared to be equal, right? And then when I get into the world, what I was taught was equal was looked really looked down upon. So I didn't know, I had to learn, I didn't know how to be any other way, but raise my hand, go to the front, speak up, stand up straight, stare people in their eyes, shake their hands firm. These are things I've been learning always. So it, it was so different. Like you couldn't pretend to not be smart. You had to be smart. <laughs> you had now, to this, be. Was, this was that way of a home, school, church, everywhere for you. See at me, where I'm from, that was yes. for me at church and at home. It was, that was the way it was at church and at home for me. But at school and in the community was a little there's that gray area where it was like wow you're that's cute wow that's amazing wow look at her wow but at home and at church you you better be you gotta be every you gotta do you better be you know right you go outside the door you represent me you're representing the family you know you know right. y'all know yeah. Yeah, y'all know <laughs> you representing me when you walk out that door. <laughs> That's across the board. That definitely is like honed into you. Like you, you, okay? They might be acting a fool, but you don't. You don't. Like, right. You know. You know what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be go to school. You better do your studies. Like I don't care what those other children are doing, but when you come here, you show me your report card. You better have all A's. <laughs> you better know. You know. And I. <laughs> I, I commend parents, like, especially when raising a black child or woman or boy, like instilling that in us, because they know when you go into the real world, it's not, right. people aren't going to be rooting for you like they're rooting for you. Right. People right. are going to be trying to tear you down. Right. Yes. 
And, and it's like, if you do accomplish something, they'll be like, oh, she's smart for a black girl. Oh, she's well-educated or, oh, she's well-spoken for, right. bla- for a black girl. I'll for be like, no, I, I'm well-educated because I educated myself. Thank you very much. Like, right. it's not because I'm a black girl. It's because I'm, I'm me. Right. So I, you know, and I hate that. They always try to stereotype us and say, always put the, because she's a black woman in front, because in everything it's even in your careers have you guys found in your careers that you've had to like maybe like jump through extra hurdles just to get to where you are or even to be heard every day (laughs) every day it's always for me um as i said that i have i can think back the span i've been a social worker for 30 years when i was a young social worker it was you know you're too young and you don't really know yet because I always showed up confident, willing to learn, but I was confident. Um, when I became a, um, and just throughout my life, in my career, people have just always sort of said to me, you know, um, you need to slow up. You need to step back. Uh, Karen is uh, intimidated by you. Um, I try to get promotions. I raise my hand and I want to know about the fellowship program. And I, I read that this company has this leadership program. How do you get a part of it? Would you read that um, on the company website? Oh, well, yeah, we'll have to see. So every, so my uh, being ambitious has, has been, I had to learn how to tone that down to make other people comfortable. Um, so... I've always been through a hurdle. Oh my gosh. Am I thing just, I like can't see anybody. Can you we see can me? We can see you. Okay. Well, I can't see you, but I will keep talking. So yes, I've had to jump Beautiful. through lots and lots of hurdles, but I've just learned. I've learned to figure out where the potholes are, slow up when necessary, speed up where I need to, but the destination has never changed. Mhm. Mhm. Okay, do you find that in being an actress have you had trouble like just getting in the room? Yeah, well, you know, I'm not far out of college, but I feel like it's the same theme is that I walk into the room and all they can see is a black girl and they um the people behind the table don't have or claim to have the imagination and say that they can cast colorblind and things like that but at the end of the day all of these older usually um white men are programmed in their head to just see me as this black woman and they can't look at me as just a blank slate whereas i feel like with most like pretty much any other ethnicity they can sort of see as having other like dynamics. And I'm really just like one sort of character. That's mm-hmm. how I feel. Mm-hmm. I and also, yes, I, yeah. And also I feel like with that trying to always, cause like I'm taller, I'm darker. I feel like I had to always present myself in a way that was more palatable for mm-hmm. them. So like my hair is straight, mind you, I do also just like wearing my hair straight because I like to flippity flip because I'm a fake hair wearer that's just in my blood. Um, 
And, uh, but no, the way I present myself, the way I talk to them, the way I even walk in the room, I try to give off a more bubbly vibe, which is the same way I act towards the police. So like, I don't know what that means. Okay, we're gonna get the police, (laughs) but real quick, you do that too, because I have a trick and I'm just gonna tell everybody now, because it's just gonna be out there. Tricks. Whenever I look at the monitor, you know, and the person opening the door for you saying, oh, here you're next. I will crack a joke and make them laugh. So then they're laughing. And then I'm like, ha ha ha, see, I'm friendly. I'm not a threat. I'm not a threat. I'm not. Or I seem like, oh, she's bubbly. We can work with her. She doesn't have an attitude. Or, oh, she, we can work with her. She's not sassy. Like, she won't give us lip because, oh, the monitor likes her. She's, they're laughing. They're kicking it over there. Like, she's going to be a fun time to work with. And I've actually had people tell me that. Like, I'll book something. And they'll be like, right when you walked through the door, you were so friendly, you were laughing and you were talking nice and da, da, da. And I'm like, see, because I made you feel like I yeah. made you feel comfortable mm-hmm. is because you're like, oh, that black girl, she's okay. We'll work with her. She's okay. Yeah. Every single time, I do it all the time, no matter where I go. I'm like, how do I make them feel comfortable? I, I, I find myself like skipping in almost like I'm like on the like on my toes almost just like it's so ridiculous and it's low-key embarrassing to actually say this but I come and I'm like hi I'm Fideke and I like make my name sound so white like I mean I am code switching because my name is so ethnic so I'm just like hi I'm Fideke Operande and yeah I'm half Nigerian that's why my name is so fun I literally said that at the top of this because it just came to me one time in an audition because I was like that's a nice little nice little icebreaker and then they all laugh and then they're all just comfortable and they're like oh my gosh tell me more why do we do that? Why do we always feel like we have to make people feel comfortable? I, I feel and like we have to explain to ourselves. <laughs> because we have to. Mm-hmm. Because it's necessary. Yeah. But it's, it's like, I shouldn't have to. But you do, though. <laughs> you shouldn't, <laughs> but you do, and that's why we do it. And because it's because we have to. And everybody does it. Yeah. Like, Desiree, you said what? You just did it, right? I do it all the, every day. Because I have to, because I do have to work. And in order for me to make the differences, get to the tables where I feel like I can make change, I have to do that. And so I do it. I don't necessarily show up bubbly. Sometimes I show up and it's not bubbly, but I eventually <laughs> read the audience and I, you know, I, I, I get to where I need to be. But um, because I'm a, you know, I like the fact, I'm, I'm a social worker, so I'm definitely on the emotional side, but I also have an MBA, so I'm definitely on the, you know, the business side of things. Mm-hmm. So when I go into a meeting, I want to get down to business. And when the meeting is over, I want you to tell me how you felt about that. <laughs> so um, sometimes I have to switch it up to make people comfortable because I, I do want to <laughs> I want to be in the room. Mm-hmm. I like that. So we do it because we have to. Yeah. Enid, you actually did it. You like you were saying you you did it at a young age, making people feel comfortable just because you you didn't want to like raise your hand or like show that you were smarter. That's making people feel comfortable. All the time. I do it all the time now. I dumb myself down to let people to make myself approachable. And I tell my I even my son actually my son actually held me accountable. My 10-year-old son held me accountable on that. 
He says, mommy, I don't know why you're doing that. You need to just be yourself. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, things that, the lessons that I, my 10 year old autistic son, highly functional, high, high functioning autistic son said this to me. And I was just like, I was caught. Like he said, mommy, you just need to be yourself. He says, mommy, I know it's okay. You just like, you tell me it's okay. And I don't even know, I, I don't even remember the conversation, but he, he told me, he's like, mommy, why do you do that? Because he caught me explaining myself and holding back and trying to explain something. So I'm just say how you always say it. Don't have to explain, just say it. And he was right. I just needed to just say it how I normally say it with my big words that I use. Because to me, they're normal words, but to other people, they're not normal words. And my husband always gets me for using them too, because he thinks that I'm talking, I'm going to say it talking white but I'm not talking white. I was learned, these are the words I was taught to use and these are the words I understand to use, so I use them. And, and it's, know, what is this? It's not, they don't have a monopoly on the language. If we learn the words, we use them and we are taught to use them. My mom is an educator, she taught me to use them, so I use them. I don't, this is the one thing I have an issue with, with us as a people and a community, is that we think that it's talking, There's there's no, we don't have an autonomy on a language. Nobody does. It's with the English language, we're taught to use the language of English and it, it is what it is. It's like Japanese language and it's a set of characters and you understand them and you learn them and you read them and you speak them. Just like any other language, it's all the same. There's no particular group of people that have an autonomy on that particular language and it belongs to them, okay? If you learn it and it belongs to you, you own it, you have ownership of it. So there's no, there's no black language. This is my personal philosophy. I don't know, you can tell me what black language is. What's black language? You guys tell me what it is. I don't I think, don't like you're right. I don't think there's like a black language, but I feel like it's been so like stereotyped right. that the black person talks this way. Mm -hmm. That's why what I was saying when they're like, oh, you, you sound educated. Or sound black, but exactly. speaking black. But somebody told me, I, you, you don't speak black. I said, there's no such thing. I speak English. Now I can, I can use slang language and I can use language that, that's, that may sound like it's some kind of slang or something like that, but I'm still speaking English in a slang language that may sound more like something you associate with a black ethnicity but that doesn't mean it's a black language because i got young white kids in my neighborhood here and my like my next door neighbor uses it more than i do and speaks that way more than i do that doesn't make me any less black or him more black because he speaks that way or it doesn't make you more or less black because you speak that way it's just the use of a language it i i just remember having a conversation with a friend about this and it it's a very interesting concept because to me, language is something you use to communicate and communication is very important. It, it, can, save, it can save your life, literally. Um, so when it comes to you being a, a person of color and using what the, a, a mode of communication and using it to make your point or to make change, then you should be able to use it in a way to finesse your way through a situation. And if you're not able to do that appropriately, 
then you need to find another way. Mm -hmm. um, and to use language in a way and attach colorism to it is a bad thing, I think. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, I guess that's my soapbox, I don't know. Well, I, think <laughs> I think we have some cultural words that I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't identify them as black language, but that they are, it's words and, and phrases that are predominant in our community um, mm -hmm. that has mm -hmm. been transferred and translated through our music. Um, you know, when you, somebody says, oh, she's fat, like you, you think big hips and wide. You don't think when a man says a, a black woman is fat or got a fat, right. it's, it's not a negative thing. Right. So that that is a cultural that's a cultural thing. And um you could call it slang, you could call it, but it is that. You know, phrases like, oh, she's showing off. Um, mm -hmm. you know, showing off is can be depending on how you say it, it's good or it's bad. <laughs> um, but I think that, that some of that language is is cultural. When I say it, you know what I mean. When I say it and I'm in a a room full of white people, they say white women, they say, what is showing off? What does that mean? Right. So there is some um, truth to some of the, the cultural isms and, and, and phrases that we use. But I agree with you that mm -hmm. there is only one language and it is English and we all speak in it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so right. just if we, until we're not. And then when we're not speaking English, we're speaking another language. Um, right. And at the end of the day, we're all speaking English. But I am um, I am from a uh, a family of uh, slang users and, <laughs> and cultural sayings. So I feel like I speak two languages as well. <laughs> and maybe English is my second language. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm okay with it. I'm I'm totally okay with it. Mm -hmm. But Enid, when you were talking about how you know, sometimes you'll like find yourself like wanting to like, I guess, dumb down your vocabulary. Mm -hmm. What I wanted to say is most white people won't even realize what you're saying. They're the ones that need to go educate themselves. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, they'll be like, wait, uh, what does that mean? Like I found, <laughs> especially in college, if like I would use like a big word or something in like an essay or something, my first college, I went to like actual university. The other one was a performing arts school. I didn't have to use big words there. But that's the point. But um, when I was giving like reports and everything, like some people would be like, like they would not know what I would like. They just don't know. A lot of people mm -hmm. aren't educated like that. So I think it's very something to be like have pride in that, right. you know, like you did that. Like right. that's yours and no one can take that away from you. Right. Well, now that I'm older, it doesn't bother me as much, except for what my husband says. <laughs> Use that <laughs> for him and give it, give to the work in progress. He's like, cause he'll be like, what do you say? Why you just, why don't you just talk regular? And I'm like, well, I am talking regular, but, um, but, all joking aside, it, it doesn't bother me anymore. But it used to when I was younger, it really did. Because like I said, my mom's an educator. So I had no choice but to learn her way. Trust me. Mm -hmm. Trust me. 
You don't want to hear that. <laughs> and give, give some right work and progress. Like, come around and fuck. See, see, talk chunkla around the corner. I'm like, hey, I'm talking I'm telling you. But, um, <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, all joking aside, it doesn't bother me anymore. But it used to when <laughs> I was. I didn't do anything right. Ooh, parents have tactics. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they really do. Um, so another thing, like, do you guys remember the first time you ever had to have the talk about police? police brutality or give the talk yourselves? Pereke, have you ever had the talk? Oh yeah. Yeah. I feel like I was like seven or eight and I don't even, I'm not even sure if something actually like happened or if they were just giving me this talk, but I remember my mom and dad telling me that when I started driving, they're like, if you ever get pulled over, you know, the way you speak to the officer, it's yes, sir, no, sir. And because we were in such white areas all the time, my mom was like, and if the police is ever talking to you and you're with like your white friends and stuff, and if they start like talking back to the officer, you don't do any of that mess because you're the one that'll end up in trouble and they'll be fine. She's like, so you always respect the officer. And I was like, oh, okay. So I always knew it in my head because I, I grew up with it from such a young age. And I'm like, I really don't even remember how old I was when I got that talk. But I, I'm pretty sure I got the talk like multiple times throughout like my childhood. Oh, and then also my mom would tell me that when I was walking through like department stores and things, she's like, you, she'd say, get your hands out of your pockets. And I'm like, oh my God, what? It's, it's cold. And she's like, no, she's like, it'll look like you're stealing. And I'm like, I'm not stealing anything. She's like, I know, but they won't think that way. And I was like, oh, wow stuff like that really happens still. And then like, you see now we grow up with everything that's happened. And I was like, wow, crazy. Well, I don't, I, I grew up in the era of officer friendly. So I, um, I was, um, you know, had crossing guard. Right. Then our neighborhoods were neighborhood cops, you know, they would come around and you see them at school and they be out there to make sure we got across the street okay. So I, di I didn't grow up with an aversion. I didn't ever plan on being a criminal. So I didn't feel like I needed to be averse to the police. Um, and I always have seen the police as the people that protect me. Um, 911 is the number I know and I will call it if I feel necessary. And I have a son, he's 25, and I have a grandson who's one. And I can't, I don't believe I've ever had the conversation with my son more so because he didn't drive he wasn't driving as a teenager um he it was more or less you just stay on the right road and never have to meet the police let's just do that like that's that's the thing let's just not have to have any interaction period with the police just always be on the right side of right um, and we know that sometimes that even you can be on the right side of right and still have a bad interaction. Um, yeah. I think yeah. as my son probably got into his late teens, early 20s, you know, we have had a discussion that he has led um, and what he has decided um, what he needed to do in situations and how he was going to respond. So I didn't I didn't have to say, you know, give him that great advice. I, other than listen, just if you just do the right thing, you should be just the police should never even have to know your name. 
Um, but he, you know, just seeing how things are going in the world pretty much told me this, these are the things that I really know that I have to do because I want to be safe. Mm -hmm. And my son is a lot like me. He's a little bit of a spitfire. So if he has decided that I need to be calm, then he gets it. He knows he, he needs to be calm. Mm -hmm. But um, mm -hmm. I didn't grow up averse to the police. And so it's, um, you know, when I see the egregious things that happen, and because I, I know police officers uh, personally, uh, you know, in my friendship circles, I, I see it as the bad apples versus an entire department. Um, but not to negate that there are some systematic um, issues in policing. Absolutely. I'm the same way. <laughs> Growing up, like my dad was a police officer. So obviously I'm not going to view my dad as like, you know, like this man who's shooting people, you know what I mean? Like, it's just not, it's just yeah. not good. And then, so I didn't, I didn't ever view the police as somebody bad. I always viewed them like you, like they're there to help. But I will say in instances like Burbank, the police are very like, they got nothing to do. So it was like, if somebody, get, if you get pulled over, it's like five cop cars for like one part, like one ticket. And there's this thing in Burbank that if you jaywalk, you get a ticket. Like, they really got nothing else to do. Like, that's literally what it is. So I, there'd be those instances where, like, I'd be, because I lived across the street from my high school. So there'd be those instances where, like, I'd be like, I gotta go. Okay, like, here we go. Like, and you would see people literally getting pulled over by the police and giving, like, jaywalking tickets. And I'm like, y'all have nothing better to do at a 7 a.m., like, time frame when we are just trying to go to class and learn. Like, that's when I would get, like, annoyed with the police. But I feel like I just didn't really start seeing um, the police as, like, really, like, a negative until I saw all the bad stuff, like, happening, you know, um, and the killings. And I... And then I started thinking, oh no, there are, there, like you said, there are bad apples. Not, not, not everybody, because I have cousins that are police, but there are definitely people that are in the police station that are prematurely in there that they need to do some growing mm -hmm. and some soul searching mm -hmm. before they strap on a gun and take responsibility for that. That's, what I, that's my take on that one. Right, okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, think, I think police need to go have a, have a longer um, education behind it or like before they can become police, maybe do mm -hmm. some diversity classes, you know, learn about different cultures, just maybe just all the above. <laughs> Cause uh, yeah, but I don't think I'm just like you, like I've definitely have instances with police. Like I've, like I've only been pulled over once, but it was in Maine and in Maine, I'm already the only really black person there. And I had two uh, of my white friends in the car and I was a DD and they were completely drunk. So obviously they're not caring what the police officer is saying. They're just blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, be quiet. Like I am the one driving. I am the one getting you like, to, like just leave, like, come on now, just work with me. The police officer's like, where are you going? And the only reason I was pulled over is because Maine is too dark and you need your, has, like, your high beams on. That's the only reason. Everything else is fine. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm the GD, you know, going to a party. He's like, what party? And I was like, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to give you all the information because I'm not going to jail. I'm not, I'm not the one. So I said, this one, he proceeds to tell me that's not a thing. He's like, that's not an address. He like walked to his car and walked back. He said, that's not an address. I said, Waze is telling me different. 
It's telling me to make a left, make a right. Like it's literally saying, and then he try, tries to like tell me like, well, and then he spins it and he's like, well, you know, if, if you go to this party, like you're going to get arrested. Like, and I was like, whoa, it like escalated too quick. Like it was just like, I, I told him like, no, that's an address. And then the next thing I know it's, well, you're going to get, you're going to get like arrested if you go and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, and that's, and I've never seen that because obviously like with my dad, like he, he was such a joker, you know, and he never like was like that with me or like in my face like that. And I'm just like, what is happening? Like, I've never had police like be like that with me or in New York with me and Fereke. Like we, we had stopped at one of the, the Metro turnstiles and they separated us and I, and I'm like you, Desiree. I have a li- like I have a mouth sometimes. Like I know my rights. <laughs> and she was like, she was like, show me your ID. I was like, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't have to show you any identification. And she was like, well, you're we're gonna separate you. And like takes Fideke away. And I'm like, Fideke, know your rights, girl. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So in New York, we were at the tennis style, and a friend of mine like doubled behind me. So I like paid and walked out. You know, and it was so bad. And the cops like apparently watched this from I don't even know where and they were like, uh, 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 hold up, hold up, stop, stop. What are you doing? What are you doing? No, you can't do that. And I was like, what? And they were like, no, what, what's happening? Why did you do that? And I'm like, well, like, I, I think his card is somewhere. I don't know. And um, they're like, no, show me your IDs. And I'm like, what's happening? They're like, no, you're getting a ticket. And I'm like, for what? I, I pay for this every like month. And he's like, no, you can't do that. You can't just like break the laws and blah, or whatever things. And I'm like, I literally see kids like jumping over this thing. And I'm like, I don't really think it's that big of a deal. But they were these two black cops. And I could tell they were just like sort of being really hard on me and my friend. Cause they, Jody was like, they seem like rookie cops. And I'm like, I don't they, know what kind they of- They did. They, this woman seemed like she- so intense but I remember when I was separated from everyone I was like oh and you know you start like praying to Jesus a little bit but I was cracking jokes with that lady too because she was like how tall are you five six and I was like oh my god like yeah spot on good on you and um yeah we were just like kikiing or I was trying to kiki but she was trying to act all tough but you know when people have like a facade up and they're like trying to and I I was not like I was just really chill about it but it was so annoying and I was like I just feel like you're doing this just to like I don't even know like seem like you're this hard ass cop or something and it was just so annoying and so unnecessary because it's freaking New York there's probably real crime happening and you're like messing with me over a turnstile. Yes. Ugh. I remember when they put you up against the wall and she made me walk so far away. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, just because I know my rights, you want me away from my friend? Like, it was weird. I was like, and then I remember calling my dad right away being like, what's the rights, dad? Get, what's the gist? <laughs> and being like, get Fideke, come on now, tell Fideke everything she needs to know. He was like, I got you. Yeah, the guy that like, doubled up behind me paid for it and I was like this is so stupid like this is literally the dumbest thing ever it's so uh so annoying but no I never had like a bad experience with cops besides like that which really wasn't a, it was just really annoying um but um because like my mom had had friends who were cops and like there were a few people just like around us who were who were nice and friendly so it was 
always with my mom, it was like, it only takes one and it could just be that instance where you're with that one bad one. And I don't want you to like be seen on the news for anything bad happening to you. Because at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm a pretty like unnerved person. So guns in general freak me out. So like the fact that people are just walking around with like guns scares me like more than it probably should. So seeing just police, I'm like, Hey, how you, cause you have a gun that's scary. So I'm just going to keep it as light as possible and keep it pushing. You know, my whole feel with, yeah. with Popo. You I tried that. to call a police officer the Popo once cause I worked at the airport. Sorry to like, really just, I'm going with it. It's a funny story. He was my, he was such a, so I used to work at LAX for clear with the little, with the biometrics. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's the craziest yeah. thing. And, um, when you're at LAX, you're always seeing like celebrities and stuff. So like Sheila E was there one time and I was like, oh my God, Sheila E. So me and this other cop, he was like, did you see Sheila E? And I was like, yeah. And then like, we would like Kiki and stuff. We were all buddy, buddy. And I was like, what's your name? And he was like, oh, I'm officer, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you the popo. He's like, no. And I was like, let me not call him the popo. Cause again, he's got a gun. So <laughs> He called Joe. He said, "No, he said, don't call me that." I was like, "Oh, <laughs> you're like I thought we were kicking it, but we weren't friends like that." Friends, but Mm-mm. but he did come in handy that one time. We were taught again. We were kicking, and then this really drunk guy like peed on the floor while he was LAX. waiting. Girl, it is crazy there. I'm so glad I don't work there anymore. Bye. <laughs> Um, Enid, I have a question. Okay. Enid, I have a question. So have have you and your husband talked about giving your son the talk or is it different because of his Well, yeah, (laughs) that's the thing. Trying explaining things to Sebastian is his name's Sebastian. (laughs) Um, you kind of have to, he has to be ready to receive it too. And even if we explain it to him, I might have to explain it to him a year later, 10 years later. Um, He's 10, but sometimes he's like six. So let me go back. We actually, um, last year, um, last summer, yeah, last summer, we had an incident with a police officer. I had my son in a car and his friend Jaden. And... uh, we were at a right turn. We were going to the park and we were at a right turn and where is there's a right green or red arrow. We, it doesn't, and it doesn't, there's a, there's this, there's a lot of these places in Desiree knows about these things in Charlotte where they have, it's like a no turn on red. Okay. Mm -hmm. But this wasn't one of those particular intersections. Okay. So it, the light turned red, but I had the green arrow to turn Right. But there was an FDS van going this way. You guys know what FDS is, right? A crazy, fanatical, religious sect that they kidnap women and families and take them away from their families and stuff on the left of me. Okay. And I thought this police officer was following him. This police officer stopped, actually pulled me over the side, thinking that I ran the red light and did not follow the FTS van. Now, everybody knows the FTS vans pick up and kidnap families. Okay. And he 
pulled me over after he saw me in the car with these boys for supposedly running the red light <laughs> and did not follow the FTS van. They're white vans. They have locks on the inside of the doors. They don't have handles. They're like, the vans are like remade and reshifted. Okay. Oh my and they have little letters on the things. The letters are really small in the vans AFDS. So I saw the van. So I thought he was following the van, right? As he should. So as I turned, as my arrow turned green, I am turning to go to the park with my son. And I'm looking at the cop going, oh man, there's something going on there. To myself, of course. And I'm turning and... He leaves from behind the FTS van, turns on his lights to go far. I'm thinking he's turning on his lights to pull over the FTS van. So I'm making sure I'm turning the right anyway to get out of all the way the drama that's about to occur. Because mm -hmm. I'm thinking there's drama about to occur over there. No, he's coming over to pull me over. And I'm like, sir, what happened? And he's like, you, you, you turned illegally. I'm like, I, I did what? So I said, well, no, the light turned the arrow. I had a green arrow. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely positive I had a green arrow. I think you're incorrect. And he goes, well, license registration. No, no, no. I said, okay, no problem. And he was really angry. And I'm like, I said, well, yeah. I said, how's your day going, officer? And um, I'm very, I, and like I said, I'm, I was retired military at the time. You know, police officers don't scare me. Um, <laughs> I usually have a really good relationship with them. Usually when they see me in military ID, there's a lot of respect and um, camaraderie going on generally. Um, but for some reason, he was a little agitated at me or something because I said, oh, no, hey, man, you know, whatever. I don't know what his issue was, but I gave him my, my, my driver's license, my registration, everything. And on my driver's license, it actually says veteran on it. Um, and usually once they get it and they see it, and they're, they're cool not this particular guy. So he was just really snarky and he walked back to the car and checked everything out. He came back. He says, well, since I see you have a good driving record and everything this time, I'm going to let you go. And I'm like, well, wait, I thought you said I ran the light. Did I ran the light or didn't I run the light? I'm not, I wasn't worried about my driving record. You weren't pulling me over for my driving record. You're pulling me over because I ran the light. And he was, did I run the light? He, did you look at your camera? Because he, he said he ran the camera. So apparently he refused to tell me whether or not I ran the camera. So what happened was I didn't run the light. He was wrong. He didn't admit he was wrong. And he missed the FTS ban, which, he, which is what he should have done. And I brought that to his attention. Because mm -hmm. he, he missed out on getting the FTS ban because he wanted to cite me. Okay. So... <laughs> He got an attitude with me from, from the initial conversation when I said, oh, no. I said, oh, man, no, it was a green arrow, like right away. And I was so nonchalant about the way I was responding to him because to me it was like, oh, it was a mishap. You know, he just missed, you missed saw what had happened. You saw that the regular light had turned red, but you didn't notice that it was, was a green arrow. And I said, did you check out the FDS fan? And he got so snarky with me because... When he got the call, apparently, I found this out. The reason why I know all this is because I'm a neighbor's a cop and he told me about the incident and I found out the whole, sh the whole shtick from him. 
And then he missed out on the whole call that they did have the FTS ban and the gathering and the whole thing. And the, there was a whole sting that happened and there was the whole human trafficking messed up mess that happened here in Charlotte that week. And he messed up. So um, long story short, my son and his friend were in the car and I was really upset by the whole thing because he had me there for a whole 10 minutes for no reason. He would he was supposed to give me my driver's license and my registration back. And he's sitting there just looking at me. I said, so did I or not? Am I free to go? What do you, why am I, why are you still standing there looking at me like you're crazy? Like, so what's going on? Am I free to go? And he's still holding my, my documents. And I'm like, what, you know, mind you, I still have the boys in the back seat of the car. You know, they're watching, thank God there's a DVD playing and they have headphones on. And I'm like, what's going on? He's like, I was like, is there anything else I can help you with? He goes, well, I'm still thinking. I said, what is there to think? What is there to contemplate? Is everything going on? I, I kid you not, this is, was my experience. Mind you, with my autistic son in the backseat of the car and his friend. And I'm like, what is there to think about? I said, hey, man, I said, hey, man what's going on? I said, what's going on? Is everything okay? And I'm trying to see if everything's okay with him because maybe he's having a, some kind of issue or medical problem or, or something because it, it can happen. You know, maybe he's having some kind of aneurysm or something. I don't know because he was just standing there staring like straight ahead without responding to me, without saying anything. So I said, hey, hey, man. And I said it again. And he finally responded. He says, oh, he says, right here, you're here. You can go. And I was like, okay, so I did this whole Facebook live about it and I got upset and I got emotional. And I was like, he, I think it was all about a power thing because he didn't like the fact that I had said something to him that number one, he was wrong. I, I, when I initially said it, I wasn't saying it to embarrass him. I was just telling him, oh no, man, it was a green arrow. You, you know, it really was a green arrow. I'm sorry, you know, you didn't, maybe you didn't see it or whatever, you know, in his mind, he was like, I didn't see it, but I was just saying, you didn't see it. It was just, it was a green arrow. It was no big deal. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to get all bent out of shape over it. It was no big deal. But in his mind, because they are trained to program to always, once they make a decision to carry out whatever decision they make to the very end of its resolution. And I am trained <laughs> in the same manner. <laughs> so I wasn't gonna sway from my understanding of my situation and what I was doing, even with my kid in the back, but I wasn't gonna put him in harm's way or anything, but to stand on the side, right side of right, as Desiree was saying, because he was detaining me and holding me up from taking these kids to the park and we were on a timeline. And for no reason other than his, other than having the ability to be able to do so. And because of the nature of his position in his job. And when I got on my Facebook Live, I had to share that with my, my friends and family because it irritated me because there's a really, a, there's quite a few close friends of ours who are in the police force here in Charlotte and in South Carolina and in the sheriff's department. And they were really upset by my post because they know me and they know that that's not called for. And one of them is a trainer for the police department here in South Charlotte. Um, and he called me, actually, he called me after my Facebook live was over 
And he came and he interviewed me and he took me to the uh, South Carolina Police Department and I had to give my story about the incident. And he used me as an example of what not to do. It, I wasn't a threat. I was talking to them. There was no level of respect given one way or another for me or the officer and about how to communicate with people in the community, in our community, you know? And a little caveat too, in my community, I live in Ballantyne. Ballantyne, Desiree knows, <laughs> Ballantyne in Charlotte is like the mm-hmm. bougie part of Charlotte, <laughs> okay? It's where it all a lot of wealthy community. It's, it was a planned community for the wealthy. A lot of wealthy but. people live here. <laughs> I did not know that when we moved here. We just liked the fact that they had sidewalks. <laughs> and oh, it's great. Beautiful. The schools yeah. were all close. The, high, the, the, the elementary school, the middle school, and the high school were all in close proximity. And there were sidewalks everywhere and lights across the street so we could walk and jog and run. That's all mm-hmm. we considered. Those are the things we considered when we moved here. We didn't know about the rest of it. Um, so in the, the community we live in, you know, that's what we knew. So um, I just had to tell you that in, in my community, but in our community, it's become really much more diverse than it has been in the last 10 years. There's a lot of Indian people here. There's a lot of African people here now. I mean, you can come to Ballantyne now and hear like at least seven to eight different languages spoken. So, <laughs> In saying all this, what I'm saying is that my experience with the police has always been very cordial and very respectful Uh, until last year and I had that incident. And that might've just been on the cusp of all this animosity between the police and the communities. Um, And he was just probably having some kind of moment, I don't know but it has caused and sparked something with me and the people that I know in the police force um, to have a different kind of dialogue in the fact where I'm actually embedded into the fabric of their training program now. Good. Yeah, that's things that they need to know. Don't do that. Like, <laughs> I mean, you should have known not to do that, but if they got to put it in the training for them to get it, well, it's, there you go. Mm-hmm. Leading on to this question, though. So as a Black woman in America, do you feel valued, protected, safe, or respected? Do you feel that at all? Um, I will say I, I feel that way because those are the things that I feel about myself. I have never dependent on the community or the society to define who I was and who I am. Um, So overall, do I think women, black women, have the respect of um, overarching of the society in the world? No, do we still, you know, we're coming on the, we're on the 100th anniversary of being able to vote. 100 years is not very long um, for women being able to even vote. But as a black woman, I, I, I feel all of those things because I don't seek it from the outside, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
I agree with Miss <laughs> I sure as hell don't feel it from nowhere else but me and my mama and my daddy. That's it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I agree. I feel like outside world, no. Inside with my own with my own people that uh you know you know your family and the friends you call family. That's where I find it. But if I had God in the world, I don't know about that. I. Uh, I don't know. Because sometimes I I really don't think the Black woman is valued Mm -hmm. out in society at all. And I found that um, Black women are nurturers. By nature, I found that a lot of... um, They give back a lot, but they don't receive anything back. And and it's it, that's why that's why sometimes I'm like I don't know if they're they're valued. I value myself. I value my aunties. I value my mom. Like you know, but outside world, I'm like Desiree. Um, but that's one thing I think I had to learn too was to value myself because at a young age you're you know just trying to go through life that identity identity crisis I talked about. But I found it. <laughs> It's, In our episode with Desiree, I remember she taught me wisdom, <laughs> self-love and confidence. Know right your now. value when you know when you know who you are. You you can. It doesn't to me. It doesn't matter what you think about who I am and what I'm not. I know my value, and I am. You know, I may yes, I may go into the room and I may lower my voice a little bit, not because I don't know my value but because I know that I have to do this in order to use my value to, 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 because my goal in any room I walk into is to a bring someone along with me and to be a change agent. And I, even if I'm in Walmart, I'm trying to make that line. It's going to, we're going to have a change in this line. This line is going to be a good line, strong line. Cause I'm in it. We're going to, it's going to be good. <laughs> so I don't care what you think about me cashier. I'm coming one way. This is who I am. And I know it's great. And you are going to give me a receipt and my correct change. Thank you very much. So I think we have to, the world will begin to, I think what's happening is that we are coming upon an outward value of who we, who we are, you know, as women, as people, as black women. And I think that the world is starting to respond accordingly because we are now standing up and saying, no, 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 you're not going to portray me like this. I'm like going to make a movie in the movies like that. Right. No, no, no. You're not going to have the business like this. We, we have a business like that. So we're, we're starting to understand and appreciate and expect our value. So I, I see it as a tide turning. But you, we cannot continue to seek our value from any other place than within. And mm-hmm. that's just period. Yeah. And like you're talking about that, um, how would you like to see Black women portrayed in like entertainment or TV, mm-hmm. film? Thank you. Good question. <laughs> I was just about well, to I ask. Love it. I, I love all the spectrum. <laughs> I see myself my alter egos, my cousins, my friends, my sorors, I see them all the time now in film, in movies, in books. Um, I don't, I, I mean, I, there, I think it would be a, a disservice to the community to only show one type of woman. Um, we, 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 we are a gamut, we, we all over the place. We, 
second um, English is second language speakers. We're WAP. We're all that. You know, we're Michelle Obama. We're we're Kamala Harris. We Shanika. We we all of that. And I honestly feel like I can turn on the TV and see myself and you guys and everyone else that I know at some point. There, you know, I can laugh. I can cry. Um, there's it's serious. I can listen to a podcast or a webinar and. I see myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I feel, yeah, I feel like it's 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 better. I do. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, definitely like especially the black actresses are saying no to roles that are like the maid, you know, mm-hmm. like the stereotypical ones. Um, you're gonna have them. Like yes, we know. Like in crime shows, you're gonna have the black girl who's sassier. You know, like like hard, like, uh, like having a fugitive or something. I don't even know those crazy ones that we all see or like the sassy black girl, like we're all going to see them. And do I love playing a sassy black girl at times? Yes, I do. But do I want to play her all the time? No, I don't. Right. So that's the thing. I feel like they just need to find a balance and they're doing a good thing. But okay, I want I want you to tell people how you felt about Hollywood though. What? The, how you felt about it because i remember asking you going with like queen latifah the that Chief show Brian murphy show i think so it was i think it's the hollywood one with patty lapone i they because it was like they had like a because i went into it i don't know what i went into it thinking but it just seemed like they were putting so many things into this show that i was like oh my god so there's a black like struggle there's a gay struggle there's a mixed race struggle and there's just there were so many things shoved into this and I was like this too much just too much is happening and then there was like this historical like sort of background but then some of it was fictional and I was like I feel like if they just made all of it fictional maybe I would feel a little better about the show but I feel like it was just it was too much for me still a good show don't get me wrong I love me some Ryan Murphy but I, I just felt like it was all that show was that was a lot that to me to me if it's historical I get you have to portray the black woman as uh like a certain way and then there you was know, like we this weren't allowed these things like, and that's why I'd rather you show the truth of how we were mm-hmm. like not given opportunities so people get it mm-hmm. instead of like you were saying how Hollywood kind of was like fictional and then real it was like black people were getting things but you know in that time we didn't get anything like that things like that so that's what I'm like if it's gonna be old and like in the 50s or something like that show the racial segregation show that it was real don't try to make it something it wasn't that's what i feel like people need to redo on that a little bit just a little bit but i, I like- love seeing all the female produced things you know these mentioned queen latifah and mary j blige and people are coming together and they're putting their money together and they're producing movies and films about, you know, black women and black stories and they're doing it. And I love seeing that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's why we see so like, we're able to turn on the TV and see ourselves more because the black woman is portrayed as so many different types of black women. And I feel like that's only happening because black women are writing it and they're behind the table right. like so many of the shows that I connect to so much were like um what was it being Mary Jane and like what is it insecure and um pretty much anything Shonda Rhimes makes 
So right. there's, there's always a black woman behind it. And it's, that's why you need more diversity in the writer's rooms because when there's not, then you just right. nonsense. Get the stereotypical, we don't need that no more. Yeah, <laughs> but not to, not, to, not to like, you know, rag on Shanika as, as you put her, because like, I mean. Well, we still need that. Cause that's another side of us. We can like, still get like that. Real, you know, there's more than just Shanika. Right. Well, what do you guys think about how we're represented in music? I feel like there are definitely amazing women who aren't in the forefront because they aren't flashy. Mm-hmm. They don't have that, um, I guess, I guess uh, I would say the white demographic doesn't feel comfortable with them. You know what I mean? Like, cause with Beyonce, I feel like even, even white people are like, she's mine. Like she's my girl. You know what I mean? But when you listen to underground, just women rappers or just women who are in the music industry, I'm like, their sound is so raw and so good. But unfortunately, I don't think they're going to get to mainstream unless they basically rebrand themselves to whatever mainstream wants them to be. Mm-hmm. And that's the sad part is we're going to have to have more people of color in that industry leading the way and not letting um, mainstream basically like say this is the way you have to be to be a pop icon or be the next Beyonce Ariana Grande I know she's like but she's still color but but you know what I mean like for that for me I'm like unfortunately to be a person of color to break out you kind of have to do the typical Mm. oh I'm gonna you know it's just I don't like it I wish that uh, different styles could come out like reggae like why can't we have a main person that is like a reggae person you know what I mean and not just like oh I know them and everybody doesn't know them or they're really hot for like a couple months and then you're like what happened to so-and-so yes Mm -hmm. and they're only hot because there were like a tiktok song or they, they were they were like something they like blew up and then it was only like one song and then you don't see them but I'm like but they're still producing stuff Mm-hmm. so the music industry is weird to me I could, I could go days on the music industry I well because my husband's a DJ and I have I know like tons of music that's like underground and like back studio music some that, that singles things that aren't even released yet and it's like from jazz to pop to like underground like yes. music to like crazy new age music and there's some really good stuff out there but it's just like people don't hear it and it's like what and some really beautiful artists like women of color making some beautiful music and they're singing some beautiful songs and i'm just like man people just need to hear this and i'm just like this is a great mix mm-hmm. and I, I put it on my page and i'm like okay i want to share it and i like everyone share it and if i share it with you know my 600 friends and then they share it then it gets out there hopefully but you know yeah and that's why it's good to listen to DJs because they give you stuff, you know? <laughs> my, like, husband, my husband's always giving music away. <laughs> shameless plug. Say, shameless plug for your husband. Give us all the details. Oh, give a shameless plug. Okay, it's DJ Paul Kroom. Um, he's on Facebook. He's on Mixcloud. It's DJ Paul Kroom. That's it. 
Um, it's um, his regular Facebook page is Paul Kroon, but he also has ZJ Paul Kroon Facebook. You can find him. He's 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 lights. He's so we're the opposite from your colorism. We're the opposite color. So he's light. And I'm dark. So we're different. We're different. See, always we're the exception, not the rule. I'm telling you. <laughs> I live it every day. <laughs> I'm gonna listen to it though. I'm gonna listen to his stuff. I do. Yeah. yeah, he's 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 on point, and he's older than me. You know, all those stereotypes of women. Yeah. Like, we're supposed to date, especially as a black woman. Mm-hmm. We can get into yeah. that too. But I want to. I want to ask you, how do you feel about what is happening in the world today? Like with the movement, do you feel like it's just? Basically, is the movement different or will it just be another time in our history um, where we speak up and then nothing happens or does it feel different? Well, I'm going to say that it feels different. Yeah, I, I just completed a six week diversity and inclusion work group for um, the organization that I work for. That work group was comprised of um, diverse um, employees from across our system and across departments. And it was literally put together because um, right after the George Floyd incident, George Floyd incident, however, the organization literally asked, how do you, how, like, how do you feel and what can we do better? And I, I was privileged to facilitate a six week conversation that ended in a list of recommendations from the employees going to senior management about what the organization can do better. And I cannot name one time in my lifetime of work that I've ever been asked just as a black person, how something truly made me feel and then asked, what can I do better? Never. So to be a part of a process in that way um, feels to me like there is hope. Like right. I've never been asked, how do you feel? And and really, we want to know what we can do better. Right. Normally you get a statement or you don't talk about it at all. You just go to work mad, but you smile. Right. And you talk about it with your coworkers in your little spaces. Then you go back to work and you code switch and everything's great. Um, so I, you know, every time I look and I see the signs that are being held and they're being held by a majority white crowd or a mixed race crowd, it just, that's different. Mm-hmm. That's different. I, I, I don't know. I, I feel, I feel it different this time than, and um, I want to caveat on what Desiree's saying, because, um, for me, it's been the same and I'm being a woman of a certain age. Um, I'm feeling that I'm feeling that, that flow of energy that's coming from this movement. That's a lot different. Um, in, but this my new workplace is new, but the military culture is is a whole other kind of it's a counterculture to the counterculture of a counterculture, and it's it's that even in itself. I have been invited to speak on three panels regarding race and gender in the military in the last six weeks. Six to seven weeks. That's big. Um, so that's, big. that's huge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm retired, 
So I'm not even active duty anymore. So that's a big deal. And those are things like when, when I was towards the end of my retirement was right in the middle of all that um, issues with uh, women's issues in the military, women's health and um, all of that going on. And, and now I'm I, literally, I can't even, every time I check my email, there's another somebody asking me to come, go to San Antonio, go to uh, DC, do a, could I come talk about treating women? I was in medicine too, when I was in the military and I quit medicine to do social work. Um, so it's, it's a whole different ball game for me. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a huge thing for me. It's really impactful for me actually, because um, the military culture is, it's really impressive um, for black women. Um, for me, it was um, in, in many different ways. Um, luckily for me, I'm smart and, and I'm not smart in just intelligence, but clever smart. So being clever and using your, using your mind to be creative and find ways to find your niche and use that to promote yourself in a system that doesn't allow people to do that, um, to get noticed and to get find great leaders to encourage you and to build you up and to put you out there in the military is 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 unheard of. So they I was I had leadership that would drag me, literally drag me through things, drag me and take me to school and send me to school. And these things that I went through, I'm telling you guys, I am the exception and I'm not the rule. The things that I had experienced, nurses, doctors, radiologists, I was in nuclear medicine. These people took me from programs and put me other places because of who, because of, because of the things that I was doing, because of my cleverness. They saw something in me and then they were like, I'm gonna take you from here and put you here. And I didn't, wasn't even in the rank to be in this position. I didn't have the rank to be in this position. And, and that this, having that savvy, their savvy, you know, because of my cleverness allowed me to progress in a really positive way and learn and, and go to school. And they sent me to all these schools and do all this stuff. So the, the train that I'm riding right now with all these invites and everything is just phenomenal considering mm -hmm. where I came from. Mm -hmm. So yes, absolutely, Jezra, I totally agree with you. And you feel like they're really listening. Like, I, I don't feel like I they're feel asking like they're this is the right thing to do. I really feel like people yes. are asking because they really want to know. Yeah. They really, they really want to know. They really want to know how to change. The, they said, you've been here. We've listened to you. We've seen you grow. We saw all the things you changed and the influences you've made before you tried to make. We want to know what you did or what you, what you could implement. We want to hear your ideas. Like, really? Uh, like literally I'm sitting back going like that shy girl in elementary school when Miss and Senor Maria grabbed my arm and said, how dare you speak Spanish in my class, grabbed my arm. I'm sitting there crouching down going, seriously, really? Like that, that's really how I'm responding to these emails because I'm like, are you punking me? You know, somebody gonna come around like, I got you, huh? You know? <laughs> 
<laughs> what's really going on. But as more and more of them came in, I was like, this is you know, amazing. Like these people really want to know, they really want to see something different, even in the military culture. And I'm like, that's something. Cause the, like I said, the military culture is something unlike any other. It's, it's even, I don't even know how to explain it. It's, you have to experience it <laughs> to really fully understand it. <laughs> yeah. Rivadeke, how do you feel about the movement and how the times are? I feel like because we're in this pandemic and every so many people are stuck at home and for the longest time, I think sports just got back. Jody, you know, I'm not a sports person, but sports like just got back. Right. So everyone is in this, like, I feel, and I was talking, I was talking to my parents about this when the pandemic first started, I was like, it feels like this leveler where it doesn't matter what color you are, how much money you have, like anyone can get really sick from this, um, from COVID-19. And I feel like it put us all in a really different mindset and we were all just sitting pretty much at home and to see this man literally get killed by someone who's supposed to protect everyone. And you couldn't really turn away from it. I feel like everyone was in the right mindset to say, oh, that's not okay. So I feel like that's why, or maybe that's one of the reasons why it's different this time, because I just, I personally feel, I'm only 23, but I remember being like 17 or 18. I don't even remember how old I was when in Chicago, they were protesting for Laquan McDonald. And I'm pretty sure my mom didn't let me go out and protest, but I wanted to. But my, I remember watching the news and my best friend Blake was on TV and she was protesting 16 shots and a cover up because they killed this black boy and it was the police. And I'm pretty sure the mayor like covered it up and stuff like that. But it was like a, a week or something of like coverage over the news and everything. And then it just sort of like goes away. And the same thing I felt with like Trayvon Martin and I just feel like so many people of like different backgrounds are standing with us now. Like you saw the Polynesians doing the haka for um, George Floyd and the Mennonites were out. My mom was like, girl, did you see the Amish? I was like, girl, they're Mennonites. But like, she's like, they, I have never seen them out there with signs saying Black Lives Matter. We are in a really different, I just like, you know me with energies. The energy has shifted. We're in a different time right now. So I think it is very different this time. Mm -hmm. it is so last question of the night y'all got here we did it so what does being a black woman mean to you and how would you like others to view and treat black women i know you have it i know you have it desiree i see your face <laughs> I don't always have it, but I have it. Um, I know you have it. <laughs> I, this is, you know, my lens, my experience. Um, I think treat Black women are not to be feared. Um, they are, just don't fear them. Their strength is a part of their DNA. We come from, we are the descendants of the survivors of the slave trade. Strength is in our DNA. It's not anything that we condemn, turn off, make low. 
It's it's really that's not natural for us. So don't fear the black woman. Seek to understand her, embrace her energy, and you will be the better for it. Okay. Is that okay? That's perfect. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> always speaking wisdom. That's right. Always speaking wisdom. Um, Enid, do you have something to say or to add to that? That was really good, Desiree. <laughs> um, <laughs> my husband says that um, black women, I'm his peace. And in me, he finds peace because I bring peace to him, um, peace and comfort. Um, and if people allow conversations to happen um, and allow, the communication to happen, um, you can find peace with, from us because we are really good communicators. So let us be that. Let us let us let us help you with that because we are really good at that. Black women are really good at helping you find that little bit of hope, that little bit of joy, and hopefully some peace. Yeah, love that. Make last closing. Closing out, girl. Closing out, girl. Oh, ooh, I feel the pressure. Okay. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Black women are truly magical. And their strength is something that should not be taken advantage of. That's what I got. Was that good, Jody? <laughs> My drop. <laughs> yes. And on that note, everybody, that is episode 10, what she said, <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. I, I adore all of you and I love you all so much for giving your time and just like letting everybody know what it's like growing up as a black woman. It's hard, but black women prevail, okay? And we're here to stay and we're not going anywhere. Nowhere. Phenomenally. Okay, safe girl. Oh, superwoman. There we go. All right, everybody. Have a wonderful night, and I'll see you all. Loving everybody. Bye.